Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Let's bring in our guy, Chris Mannix, one of the best uh, insiders in the country. And so Mannix was just talking about this with Felger uh, last block. Did the Celtics get better or worse with this deal? I think they got better, um, not contender better, but I do think they improved their team. Derek White's a very good player. I mean, his shooting numbers have been down this season around 31%, but he has been the last two seasons right around 35 36%. I think that's more reflective of the kind of player uh, that he is. He's an excellent defensive player, can defend multiple positions. And where they gain something, guys, is in playmaking. Dirk White's averaging close to six assists per game, and I have been on the pregame show and on the postgame show talking constantly about this need, team's need for playmaking, either to replace a Marcus Smart or to supplement a Marcus Smart. I think uh, Derek White, either in the starting lineup or off the bench, is going to be able to do that. They're better. Not contender better, but they're better. The Celtics have now made some moves, and it seems as though they are trying to get a little bit better right now, but also look to the future with these these trade deadline acquisitions and trades done by Trader Braddy, his first ever trade deadline as a GM, the first one that we have seen without Danny Ainge in the longest time. And it seems as though at least one good thing that I'm seeing is Trader Braddy, or I've got to stop calling him that. It's, that's not his nickname. It's Brad Stevens. Is just getting things done, I would say. I think that he is just going out and he is doing things at the trade deadline, and that is better than what happened with Danny Ainge, in my opinion. He is trying to improve the team at the deadline and taking advantage of that, where I feel as though Danny Ainge, many years, just stood pat because he couldn't figure out the trade that was perfect for the Celtics. Instead, Brad Stevens goes in there and he sees that, okay, I can move a bunch of these pieces, a bunch of dead weight, and I can get in some pieces that can be useful for the future. So I'm happy to start off with the trade deadline today. We had a lot of moves that happened yesterday around the NBA and then three moves that happened for the Celtics that I want to go over and what that means for the team. We're also going to get into some NFL topics. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl this weekend. We have some Bruins topics to go over. They just got destroyed by the Hurricanes last night, but we're going to get into all of that after we do the NBA talk. So like I said, starting off with the Celtics moves. So as, as you heard in that clip to start off, we have gotten a player by the name of Derek White, a solid point guard, shooting guard. He's kind of a mixture, a tweener type in between that can play both positions pretty good, but neither one excellently. So it's a, a player that is going to be good. He's younger. He's 27 years old, and I, I think that he is going to be a good player. I'm happy that we got Derek White. I think he's a piece that is going to be good going forward. He is under contract, I believe, until 2025, making something like $50 million over that span. So it's not the worst contract in the world. I do personally believe that the Spurs were looking at White and DeJounte Murray as their possible backcourt of the future, but White just didn't really work out well with Murray. Murray is obviously a beast. We've seen him. We played against the Spurs recently. We lost to that Spurs team because of, in part, DeJounte Murray. And so I think that White is going to be very helpful for us in the future. Now, I don't necessarily love what we gave up for that because one of the pieces that you gave up in that trade for Derek White was Josh Richardson. 
And Josh Richardson has been a player that I think has been one of the only ones with balls recently for this Celtics squad. I think that he has been doing great. I think that he has been, uh, you know, obviously creating a good relationship with Tatum and the rest of the locker room. So that was good for chemistry reasons. I know that he had a tough start to the season, but he became a good player. I think he is shooting his his best three-point percentage that he shot in his career at 39.7% from behind the three-point lock uh, arc, I should say. And so I, I was a little bit interested in, in why that was the, the the piece that was being moved. I thought that he was very helpful recently, especially for a team that needs help scoring off the bench. Josh Richardson seemed to have figured it out recently. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. We now have a legitimate six-man in Derek White who could possibly be the takeover for or the, the, the substitution for, like you heard in that clip, Marcus Smart in some situations, whether they're going to move on from Marcus in the offseason or if they're just going to have... White as the one-two combo punch, so you get that decent point guard, but really good defensively, and he can shoot sometimes, but he is going to be a solid player, I believe, for this team. He is also having a career year in assist, averaging 5.6 assists per game, and he is 13th in the league in, get this category, I love this category. If you know me, if you've listened to me, especially with NBA Talk, this is my category that I love the most. He is Tied for 13th in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio at 3.15. So he gets 3.15 more assists than turnovers. That's his ratio. That's great. I love that. And it's on a, a front court uh, now that is going to have the ability to get a lot more playmaking going, which is I'm, I'm happy about that because it's worth noting that the Celtics are 14-6 and six when they have at least 25 assists in the game. I, I think I've been complaining about that for, for many, many years, if not just months at this point. And they are 17 and 19 when they fall short of that 25 assist number. So, as you can tell, when the ball is moving, it's much better for this team. He is up, so Derek White's going to help with that. He's also great on the defensive side of the ball. And we know that the Celtics are really good defensively right now. So you got rid of a few pieces that may not help as much defensively, Schroeder being one of them. And we're going to talk about that in the next trade. But also, it's worth noting that in this 13-4 and run that the Celtics have had, these last 17 games where they're 13-4, and they have had a defensive rating of 99.7 which is the best in the league and by far better than anyone else in the league. I, I believe five points better than anyone else in the league right now. So they've been smothering teams, and White and Smart is going to be a good duo of guards to be able to help continue to do that. So I'm happy about that. Now, there are other trades, and I do want to talk about those. So we're going to get into those right after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Okay, so we went over the Derek White trade to start off the show. I thought that that was obviously the biggest move that the Celtics made. This is a piece that can really help this team going forward. He's young enough that he can grow into a really good role for this squad, and we have him under contract until, I believe, at least 2025, maybe 2026, and so that will be a good piece going forward. But we also made other trades, and these other trades were more just, I believe, to get under that salary cap 
space, not getting into the luxury tax, which everybody was worried about, it seemed, or at least that was one of the main focuses that everyone kept bringing up was Brad Stevens and the Celtics want to get under the luxury tax, and that's why they would move this player or that player. And so it seems like some of these moves that they did was just specifically for that, which they are now going to be under that luxury tax. So congratulations, Brad. Good job. You made it under there. So you made uh, the owners happy, and you also got Derek White, which makes the fan group happy. But there is a player in particular that they are now bringing back to this squad who I absolutely did not like whatsoever on this team beforehand. We're going to see how he does the second time around. They're bringing back Daniel Tice. So now we've already brought back Horford. We're now bringing back Daniel Tice. People are trying to say in the media that, oh, Brad Stevens is just fixing Danny Ainge's mistakes. No, I believe that getting rid of Tice was actually a good move for this team. And I don't think that he's going to provide much for this squad this year. I I could be wrong, but I, I mean, he's going to be the, the third big on the team behind Horford and Rob Williams, obviously. Now, we did get rid of the other two bench big men in Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, and Bruno Fernando, those guys who you rarely saw, or when you did see Ennis Cantor Freedom, he was just absolutely terrible. So I'm happy that we got rid of him. We got rid of Schroeder in this deal as well, who seemed to be somebody that nobody liked, whether it was in the locker room or in the media. And, it, you know, you had that great quote of him saying, are you with us? Are you with the Celtics or are you with someone else? Well, it sounds like Schroeder, you're with somebody else now. It's just, just so you know, you are with somebody else now. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. But it seems like he was a little bit of an annoyance. And so it's okay to get rid of him. He had his moments where he was playing good, but he played basically no defense. And so he, he can go off and play for the Houston Rockets or he'll probably get bought out and go to another team or whatever it's going to be there. But you end up getting... Let under that tax, like I said, and you bring in Tice, who knows the system. He's played with these guys before. They like him. Brad Stevens obviously loves him, and so we'll see what he's going to be able to do for this team. I'm not going to be happy about it, but it is going to give me the the ability to continue to complain about Daniel Tice and blame most of the things on him, so it works out for me from that standpoint, but what we also did was we got rid of the players that you had seen earlier in that P.J. Dozier and Bowl Bowl trade that they had made that was a nothing trade because neither of those players were going to play this season. You got rid of those as well, uh, along with a second-round draft pick for and cash considerations to the Orlando Magic for a conditional future second-round pick. So the draft pick stuff in these conversations don't really matter much. Like, in the Derek White trade, the Celtics are also giving up a 2022 first-round pick which is protected between the one and four picks in the draft. So if it falls in there, it's protected. If it falls outside of that, then the the uh, Spurs would get that. But if, if we're being honest with ourselves, we all are looking at this team and thinking that they can get into a good spot in the playoffs now, especially after this most recent run. We're thinking they can get to a six seed, five seed, whatever. They're already at the seventh seed. So that draft pick is going to be in the high teens, early 20s at best. So who cares about that draft pick? The other draft pick is in 2028, and it's a swap pick. And so who knows what's going to happen down the line there. I'm completely okay with that. Even if it ends up screwing us over later on, of course, I'm, I'm probably going to complain about it. But right now, looking at the team, we want these next couple of seasons to be important. So it doesn't really matter what happens in 2028. And I'm hopeful at that point that both the Jays are still here and this team is still not a, a bottom feeder and it won't matter regardless. So the draft pick side of things doesn't really matter. But what this team was able to bring in, I don't know. Does it make us much better? 
I think some of the moves were a little bit lateral. I do think that the Derek White move was a step in the right direction because, like I said, it makes us go back to that or, or focus more in on what we've been doing better, which is defense and hopefully passing the ball better. Getting some more ball movement is going to be huge for this squad. I can't say it enough. I went over the stats already in the last segment when we were talked about the Derek White trade there but once again 14 and 6 when they have at least 25 assists or more 17 and 19 when they have less than that so move that ball Celtics get the open shots and see what you can do they have a game against the Nuggets tonight at home that is a big game I believe a, a team that is very solid and is going to be in your way so I think that or, or in your way in the in the schedule I should say not in the standings obviously they're over on the other conference but this is going to be an interesting game for a team that has been playing a lot better recently, and I've gotten to the point, like I said before, where this Celtics squad is now at the point where we want to see them beat somebody real, right? Which is a good thing, Celtics fans, remember, don't get upset by this take here, but they need to actually beat somebody legitimate to legitimize their little run that they've had. You, you have not beaten anybody legit. You lost to the only team that really was, I would say, in the Hawks, Maybe I guess the Hornets actually is a good one, so that was a good win. But otherwise, we haven't played anybody legit at that at this point. The January schedule was very easy; it was fluff schedule, and so now you have to play some of these teams in February that are going to be much better caliber. And can you compete against them? The Nuggets and the Hawks. You're playing both of those teams at home. You should be able to compete well, and you're going to end up getting Derek White in. We'll see what he can do. Right now at this point, like I said before, sitting in 7th place in the conference, 31-25. and 25, We've gone on a nice little run, and I think that this team, once again, can get up into that 6th seed area if they continue playing this well. I think that Ime Odoka, a part of this whole move system here is that he wants to shorten that bench up. He's been shortening the bench up regardless. He only really plays 8 or 9 players every single night. So he's going to do that anyways. So a part of this is getting rid of guys like Romeo Langford, who was taking away minutes from a guy like maybe Neesmith can now, or Naismith can now get more minutes. You're taking away minutes from other guys when you have Enos Cantor and Fernando in there. So shorten that bench up, focus on defense, focus on moving the ball, and this team is going to be much better off. I believe it. I think that the Celtics believe it, and that's why they're going this direction. We'll see how it plays out on the court, though. So... Now I want to move on. We're going to move on to some NFL topics. we got the Super Bowl to talk about, and unfortunately, we also have to talk about a little bit of Deflategate stuff. So get ready for that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, time to start talking about the NFL. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl this weekend between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. The Los a the game will be played in Los Angeles in the Los Angeles Rams Stadium, which will be goofy enough. So another home team in the Super Bowl, and it's the the funniest part of that actually is that the Rams won't be allowed to use their own home locker room because they're technically the away team in their own stadium. So they have the away locker room when they're in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. So all the other stuff, they get to go to their own house, they get to sleep and whatever, and there's no traveling, all that is great for them. But it's kind of goofy to think that the home team that's playing in their own stadium is not going to get to use their own locker room. I don't know. Something about that seems funny to me. But it's going to be an interesting game. I, I believe that it is a coin flip, honestly. I know that the... The bookmakers, Vegas, all that has the Rams by three and a half, four points. 
and you know that's that's probably a good call considering you would think on paper the Rams are the better team, right? They are the they they have the defense, the offense. Matt Stafford is playing well. It'd be much better for them if they had Robert Woods, but they still have Odell Beckham Jr. They have uh, Cooper Cup. And so they are going to have some weapons to be able to play against that Cincinnati Bengals defense that has been solid through the playoffs and a rookie core or not rookie quarterback, but second year quarterback in Joe Burrow and a rookie player in Jamar Chase. We'll see how those guys play under the biggest lights in the biggest moments in this game. So I'm I'm personally going to be on the side of rooting for Matt Stafford. I honestly feel as though he deserves it the most. I think that Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, they'll be around. Maybe they'll not make it to another Super Bowl because that is extremely tough. But he is going to have more chances in the AFC to get a shot at a Super Bowl. I don't think it's his time. I think we want... At, or I, I want, if you think like me, I want Matt Stafford to get a Super Bowl because I think he deserves it. I think that he has been, and I've said this before, a tough player who got stuck on a really bad franchise and still put up some gaudy numbers in, honestly, one of the worst, if not the worst team in the NFL. The Lions, the Detroit Lions. Yes, you had Calvin Johnson for years. You had some other weapons that you played along with, but their defenses were always terrible. And so he never really got anywhere. He got into the playoffs with the Lions and got destroyed, and so it, it's it's just something where I, I feel as though he deserves a Super Bowl from all of his time played, what he's done, the injuries he's played through, the, the how he's never really been an annoying guy, he's never really done anything that would piss anyone off or been a bad person in any way. I want him to get one. I personally feel that way, so I am rooting for the Rams. I am rooting for Matt Stafford to get it, but if I was a betting man, which I am, I would take the points with the Bengals because I do feel like it's a coin flip. So if you're going to get four points given to you in this game, betting on the Bengals, why wouldn't you take that? That's easy, right? That should be easy money because this game could easily end in a field goal victory, something less than three points very easily in my opinion. So that's your little gambling second, couple seconds there. If you are betting on the, the game whatsoever, I guess you would bet Rams money line and you would bet uh, bangles by the points. So if, if you're doing that, if you're into that whole thing, it's going to be fun to watch though. I think it'll be an interesting game. I'm excited for it. And I'm sure everyone's excited just for the, even the commercials, the crazy halftime show that's supposedly going to be happening where it's going to have Eminem and Dr. Dre and all these other guys or girls or whoever is going to be in there should be interesting. Probably won't ever be as good as Bruno Mars or Beyonce, who are the two best by far halftime show people I've, I've ever seen in my entire life I, I you can give me some other options as well out there but I think that if I had to pick I'm personally going with Bruno Mars second would be Beyonce and then I don't know even who else would would be really on the list for here but it, it, that's just how I feel but you can argue about that one the goofy thing that I have heard recently though revolving around the Super Bowl and the, f the future of the Super Bowl I should say is there is currently a bid that's being put in by the London <laughs> the London franchise that has a a uh, you know we go to them once twice a year and we play in that big stadium out in London they the the Spurs I believe is what the group is called uh, have already put in a bid to host the NFL Super Bowl in in their stadium in 2026 they are attempting to have a Super Bowl in London in 2026, which to that I say, please don't. Please don't do that. That is just such a terrible idea. Do you really want to make 
It's it's hard enough to get fans to go to these Super Bowls across the country. You think that they're going to fly across the sea to do it? I mean, we look at the prices now of tickets for the Super Bowl, and then you're going to add on a cross-ocean flight to that whole process? <laughs> it just, I mean, it's only going to be for the richest people. They're really only going to be the richest people going to the Super Bowl. It already is basically that way. You have to mortgage your house to get a second mortgage to be able to get a ticket to these Super Bowl games to get into the nosebleed seats at this point. But now you're going to put it over in London? It, I don't understand it. I, you guys know how I feel if you don't. I'm not a big fan of the whole London thing. I think it would be silly to even put a franchise out there. I think it's great for these random games during the season. Fine. That's okay. You can do that as a, a specialty thing. And I think that that's why you get these sold-out groups or sold-out games in that stadium is because it's fans of all different teams just wanting to be able to see an NFL game. But I guarantee it. If they put an actual NFL team in that stadium in London, there's no way you would get that kind of attendance. You just wouldn't. Your team would not be that good. You'd probably get the Jaguars. You'd be playing horrible football for the first three, four, five seasons, and then you would they would lose interest. They would lose an interest very quickly in seeing that. Not only would it also be annoying for the fact that everyone in your division has to go and play a game over in London all three of those other teams in your division have to play a game in London every single year. That's ridiculous. But on top of it, you would have a terrible team that moved. Because whatever team gets moved there, if it does happen, is going to be one of, if not the worst team in the NFL. That's just how it's going to be. It's going to be a team that doesn't have any attendance. They haven't had it. They're easy to move, pick up, and move them over to that area. It's just going to be horrible. So, I don't know. Thought it was funny that we're hearing that they are putting in a bid to try and get the Super Bowl in London. I think that that would be a terrible idea, and I hope that that's not the case. All right, so we've talked about the Super Bowl, but there has been some interesting new information that has come out since Roger Goodell did his State of the NFL speech, and some questions were asked about Deflategate. We're going to get into that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Hey, Roger. Uh, ben Volan from the Boston Globe. Um, remarkably, for the eighth straight year, I have a question about Deflategate to ask you. <laughs> um, there was a report from Mike Florio last week that uh, the NFL expunged the data from uh, the PSI spot check data from the 2015 season after Deflategate. Uh, one, do you have any comment on that? And two, don't you think that the fans, the Patriots, Tom Brady, maybe deserve to see the results of those spot checks? Uh Ben, this is a long time since I've, I've thought about the flaky, other than maybe your last question last year. I don't know. But um, uh, we, would, we were very clear that we were going to do spot checks to make sure that people were following the, the policies. Um, that is something that we f fully uh, engaged in. And, and I don't know what happened to the data, to be honest with you. We don't look back at that. We just make sure there's no violations. That's the purpose of the spot checks. Are there violations? And if there are violations, we need to look into it. But uh, thankfully, we did not see any. I don't know what happened to the data, to be honest with you. I, I, I mean, come on. Come on, Goodell. There's got to be some other way that you can phrase that, answer that. You had to know that somebody was going to ask you about that after the Florio, uh, you know, hit piece, not hit piece, but he put out the information about what had happened during that whole scenario. And I know nobody wants to talk about Deflategate. We've talked about it at nauseum for the longest time. But, man, when something like this comes out and then on top of it you have Goodell just stuttering through and I don't know where the data went excuse, 
it looks so bad for the NFL. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love that it looks bad for the NFL because I think that they're all scummy and I want to see them squirm. But this is just, it just, I mean, come on. What are we doing? What, what is that response to that question? I don't get it. But so if you haven't heard, like he said in the clip, uh, Ben Volan there was, was mentioning the Florio book that he wrote. And in that, he was describing two new pieces of Deflategate saga information that don't look fondly towards the NFL and the way that they handled that situation. So as a reminder, just, just to get this out there again for people who have forgotten, who I'm sure majority of people who are diehard Patriots fans have not forgotten this, but the punishment for Deflategate included Tom Brady going to court against the NFL after being handed a four-game suspension, along with the Patriots being fined a million dollars while also being docked a first-round and fourth-round draft pick. That's what they got for the Deflategate scandal that was such a, a, the talk of the entire universe at that point and talking about how big of a cheaters the Patriots were and how they don't deserve any of their Super Bowls and blah, 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 all this stuff. So it has come out that in, in this book, like I said, the first little piece of information that comes out isn't as big as the second one, but it's still a, a good one. So the first piece of the information is about the Chris Mortensen tweet. He had reported that 11 of the 12 footballs used by the Patriots uh, during the game that was played were underinflated by at least two pounds each. That information was ultimately proven to be false, and a correction was eventually made in, in the initial report. Uh, but in this book, Florio, Florio says that the source of the incorrect information was NFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations Troy Vincent. So this guy is just putting out incorrect information. We knew it. We, everyone knew it. Mortensen went into hiding for the longest time after that, and then it came out, I think, that he had cancer, which uh, that's unfortunate. But from just strictly looking into this situation, he kind of went into hiding after being given this false information by, by Troy Vincent. So maybe Chris Mortensen was just a scapegoat when Troy Vincent was the one that really had the issue. But that was just a, a proven fact, that that was incorrect uh, what he said there, and that basically sparked this whole witch hunt throughout the entire process. The second piece of information that Florio has revealed, though, is arguably the biggest of the two, and it reveals direct science that supports New England's defense, all right? Uh, so it, it basically exonerates the franchise completely from this situation, but you know, we're, we're, we're just going to go over the information and then we're just going to get it out there and and hopefully we're not going to complain too much in the future about this. But it, I don't know. It, it, it seems pretty crazy that they're doing this. Beginning in 2015, the NFL began conducting air pressure spot checks at halftime of games. The data was collected and hidden by the league with none of the numbers ever seeing the light of day. And he goes on to say, under the ideal gas law, the working theory is that the air pressure in the balls would rise during warm days and fall during cold days, which is what happened. Playmakers reveals that numerous measurements made it made at halftime of games during the 2015 season produced numbers beyond the uh, produced numbers in that 12.5 to 13.5 PSI level and correlated with the ideal gas law. That means the footballs used by the Patriots were consistent with the conditions that they were playing in that day as it relates to the recorded data in 2015, distorting those initial allegations of wrongdoing. That is crazy. So the NFL goes out, starts taking these spot checks, as Goodell said, 
finds out that the information was correct uh, as far as what the Patriots thought, which was the the uh, you know weather changed the f- inflation or deflation of the balls. And then they just hit it. They hit all the information. They got rid of it. They didn't say anything about it. Roger Goodell comes out looking like a dumb, dumb idiot, stammering and stuttering over what he's trying to say, saying that he is unsure of where, he doesn't know where the, the data went. He doesn't know what happened to it. What, you don't know what happened to the data that, ha- that, that came out from this whole experience? You just went and you, you covered it up? Crazy to think crazy to think that they were able to do that so i don't know uh, you, you know now since then we've had guys like bob ryan coming out and saying things like the truth of the matter is that yeah uh, the alleged cheating team has been any uh, or, or could have been any nfl club it would have been a footnote in the history of the nfl if it was anyone else but the entire matter having been settled by the nfl that it was the patriots and they were cheaters that's that's the reason that it happened. It's because it was the Patriots. Now, all this being said, we do have to remember that there were some very incriminating text messages that were used by the ball boys on the team, and that was used in the whole entire argument. And so obviously the Patriots were doing something that could be considered cheating. But it's just funny to me that they get all of this information about the balls being deflated or inflated and they just don't use it. They just they they push it aside and they don't utilize that whatever. It's kind of going back to Spygate when the NFL did the same thing stamping on tapes so that no one or or stomping on tapes so that no one could find out what the Patriots were actually videotaping. Uh, so, I don't know. The the NFL is scummy beyond belief and they are just I don't know, immorally wrong on so many levels but in all honesty some of the stuff that they've done have helped the patriots and some has hurt it just like in a regular nfl game sometimes the ref screws you sometimes they don't you gotta live with it and move on so i just implore patriots fans let's keep moving on from this i do just find it funny that they that goodell came out and couldn't even answer that question other than i don't know what happened to it i don't know i don't know what happened that's uh, that's crazy to me i don't know what happened that's really wild i can't believe it All right, we're going to move on now and start talking about the uh, Bruins when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The Bruins without Bergeron and Marchand. The game is on. Jack Studnika playing his first NHL game in eight weeks gets the call up from Providence. Shea's shot scores. A wrist shot from the blue line through a screen. It's six love. What a horrible, horrible display of hockey that the Bruins put out on that ice last night. It was just not acceptable. I understand we didn't have Patrice Bergeron. I understand we didn't have Marchand, but come on. You got to be able to show me that you can put up a little bit more of a fight than six to nothing against the Hurricanes, which are, they're arguably a really good team, a, a top tier team in the NHL. And they have had your number not only all year this year, but in past years as well. Sebastian Ajo owns the, the Bruins, had another two goals in this one. He is just a dominant force. And that's why I wanted him a couple years back when there was there were signs of him maybe being in the trade deadline. I, I don't know uh, if we could have done that or not, but. He is a Bruins killer, and I just can't help but say, how dumb is Brad Marchand for doing what he did? 
and getting himself suspended for six games over going after a goalie in against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's going against Jari. What could have possibly been the reasoning in your little head, Brad Marchand, for punching him, a defenseless goalie, in the back of the head? I don't know. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he did. And I don't care. You just got yourself a huge suspension in the middle of a very crucial time coming back from the all-star break where we needed to pick back up momentum. And instead, we're going to be sitting here without you. And also in that game, Patrice Bergeron gets a head injury and now he's going to be out for a little bit of time. So what a horrible, horrible time to go and be the Brad Marchand that once again, I always say this, everybody in the league will hate you unless you're on their team. When he's on your team, you love him. You still get frustrated and pissed off like I am right now about what he did in that game and why he did it, but you love him for what he's able to do on the ice. I just don't understand that since he's gotten to that level of being a top-tier offensive player in the league, he still does this stupid stuff. I understand being annoying. I understand trying to get under the other team's skin. I loved what you did at the beginning of the game in the preseason war or in the pregame warmups where you hit the puck away from Jari. That's some game gamesman shit stuff gamesmanship stuff but in uh the rest of the game even i guess in the crosby situation where he's holding crosby from being able to get a new stick from having a broken stick that stuff i like as long as it doesn't lead to penalties i like that stuff rabbit punching in the back of the head to a goalie and then on top of it going back and trying to throw your stick in his face how could he have done something that bad i understand that goalies can be bad too they can do things like try and cup check you with their stick. They can punch you in the back and the kidneys when you're in their crease. Do all this stuff. So they can do some pretty dirty stuff too. But man, take it out on somebody else. Go and fight somebody, Brad. Find a guy that's as short as you are and go and throw some nuts with him. Don't go and try and punch Jari in the back of the head with 20 seconds left in the game when it means absolutely nothing. I, I don't understand why you would do that move and it put us in such a bad position that now we're sitting here looking at the rest of this schedule coming up and thinking what are we going to do against these teams now I know that it's not the hardest of schedules coming up here but you do still have to play the Rangers you have to play the Avalanche you have to play some of these teams that are going to be top tier teams in the entire league and that is going to be a problem you do get to play the Senators twice you get to play the Islanders who haven't been good you get to play the Kraken and the the Sharks as well so those are all games that you should easily win but let's just look at the time period where brad martian is going to be out you have the hurricanes game you lose six and nothing you now have the next five games two of which against the senators one against the islanders but two against the rangers and the avalanche so now we're sitting there with games against the rangers and the avalanche that are now looking like definite losses because of the fact that you don't even have brad martian and you're going into this with with hopefully Patrice Bergeron is going to be fine and he'll be able to get back in there against the Senators. I'm hoping that's the case. You have a, a few days of rest here to be able to get back for the game on Saturday night. And then you go a couple more days before you play the Rangers. So at least if Patrice Bergeron is back for the Rangers game, I'll have a better feeling about it. But man, what a time to get suspended and to be suspended this badly for something so stupid, so silly, so childish. I don't understand. I, 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 you're not going to be able to uh, explain it to me, any Bruins fans out there, any Brad Marchand fans. It was dumb. You can't say anything other than it was just dumb. All right? I, I, I mean, I, like I said, once again, 
do all the annoying stuff before the game, during the game, the stuff that's not going to get you a penalty, the, the put your put your uh, finger in their mouth or something, you, you you try and lick them on the neck. Well, maybe don't do that. But th- hitting the puck away from Jari when he had it in the pregame warmups, fine. Going up against Crosby when he broke his stick and you, you're trying to annoy him and not allow him to get back to the bench, maybe a little bit of inter- interference, but fine. Punching a goalie in the back of the head, I can't say this enough. Dumbest thing that you've done all season, by far. It just, it makes no sense. You knew you were going to get suspended. You knew then, also, going back at the goalie once again, what did he say? Something about your mother? I don't understand why you kept going. And then you had to put your stick in his face as well, Brad. I know sometimes you see red and you can't make rational, sane decisions, but grow up. I don't don't know. I thought that you would grow up with your, your skill, but we still are doing these stupid things. I don't know. It's it's ridiculous to me to think that this team is going to be without one of their best players because he can't just keep his hands to himself. He, he's, he's like a child. It doesn't make any sense to me. But the Bruins are still in a good spot. We're still holding on to that second wildcard spot. You still have a good seven points above the Red Wings. So, you know, we're, we're sitting in a good position. But I still don't believe that you have room to give up on games that could mean everything down the stretch. It, you you end up losing these games here uh, to, to teams like the Hurricanes, you probably would have lost. But if you lose to a Senators team or, uh, you know, the Islanders, if Patrice Bergeron isn't back by then, which I th- assume he will be, it, these teams that you should beat because of Brad Marchand doing this, it's silly, it's stupid, and it's all on him. It's all on him as much as it was on him for that St. Louis Blues moment where he decided he wasn't going to get off the ice, was going to get off the ice, then doesn't do anything, and he lets up an easy goal against them. That also pissed me off. I don't know why I brought that up, but that just jumped into my brain. Anyways, oh, man, I just get so frustrated with that. It's just unneeded, unwarranted, and you can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. All right, let's move on to another topic. We have one more to talk about. We got the MLB. Some stuff has happened with them as well. We're going to talk about that when we get back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. With respect to labor, let, let, let me start with the most important point. Um, the clubs, our owners fully understand um, how important it is to our fans that we get the game on the field as soon as possible. Um, we want to reach a fair agreement with the Players Association, and we want to do that quickly. Um, we have listened carefully throughout this negotiation, and we have moved towards the players on key areas in an effort to address their concerns. We've proposed an agreement that is better in every respect than the expired contract. Well, it sounds like Manfred thinks that they're going to get something done for this MLB season. It sounds like he is offered the best deal that they could possibly offer, and there's no chance that the the players won't come around to it, right? Wrong. I think that you're absolutely wrong, Manfred, as the players are starting to call you. There's a lot of players that hate your guts right now, and it's understandable. It seems as though you're trying to put up the biggest roadblocks to stop this season from happening because you're obviously siding with the ownership group in a lot of these scenarios. So, I don't know. It's it's something where 
you know, baseball players and owners and the commissioner need to just shut up and play, shut up and figure it out, but they won't. They they keep saying that they're meeting when they're not or they're barely having any meetings whatsoever. It's been, what, six months now, and I think they've only had two or three meetings? How does that – how are you doing or putting your best foot forward, Manfred or, or the MLB, when you're only having that few meetings? And in those meetings, the reports that we're getting is – Nothing has changed. Nothing, nothing is going on. There is nothing to you know see here. Basically, we haven't changed anything. We've proposed a bunch of deals, but every time somebody has a huge, huge problem with it. So I, I don't know. It, it's we've gotten to a point where I'm thinking this team or this this league is definitely not going to start on time. Uh, you know, the 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 spring training schedule is supposed to start within a month. They're supposed to start, and the 2022 regular season is supposed to kick off on March 31st. They haven't even done pitchers and catchers down to spring training yet. They haven't done truck day or, what, you know, that whole thing. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything for it. So, I don't know. It's, it, you know, as of the last week or so, there it just seems as though this team, this league is not able to do anything. Major League Baseball, it's indicated that for the first time that it is open to a pre-arbitration bonus pool during a labor meeting Tuesday. That that was back at the end of January. And the MLB Players Association is it seems to be on board with that. But the sides remain far apart on how much should be distributed, according to sources familiar with the talks. So they're starting to get to the talking points, at least. But they're still so far apart as of the end of January. So, I, I mean... You're going to get that all figured out in this next couple of weeks. It seems like Manfred seems like they will be able to. I'm also seeing things uh, like Major League Baseball and the Players Association plan to meet again a after their Monday meeting, uh, but but it was but it did they, it didn't end up happening. They they just basically they've been setting up meetings and they haven't happened, or they've had so little meetings that it just doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know. Do you guys want to play? In, in, do you want to have a full season? Because I'm starting to think that at least maybe either the players or the ownership group, one of those two doesn't want to have a full season. And maybe that's because I would think the owners would be losing too much money from a certain situation if they just go into the season with whatever the players want. I know that it's just billionaires complaining about their ashtray money, but they still are going to do it because, I, I don't know, they're just the most ridiculous human beings on the planet. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing this. And I don't know why they can't figure things out. So it, it seems as though at this point you could put a guarantee on the fact that it's going to start late. Spring training is going to start late, which means the season's going to start late. And then you're not going to be able to play 162 games. Maybe it'll be 142. I don't know what it'll be. But they'll have to change something because the, line, the, the dates just won't line up. Something's got to happen. Something's got to change. Now, there has been one thing that seems to have changed that I am happy about, right? Uh, this is one of the things that I think that should have happened a long time ago, and it's it's actually something that I don't, well, maybe some players or some old school fans are going to complain about this, but it seems as though finally we have come to an agreement between the leagues, the, the ownership groups, the players, that there is going to be a universal DH in the game going forward. Now, 
The reason I've always liked this is because I thought that the American League always had a distinct advantage, which, you know, being an American League team rooting for the Red Sox, that's great and all, and, and that works out for us a lot, but they have an, a distinct advantage when it comes to playoff time and you're going to, uh, you know, you already have a designated DH for that position, whereas National League teams are kind of scrambling for that position. Now, obviously, when you switch it up and it's pitchers hitting, I, I don't actually think that the American League loses out too much on that because there's so few pitchers that can hit regardless of whether they play in the National League or the American League that that doesn't matter. There's no advantage, distinct advantage, I should say, in any sense. But having a DH and knowing that you have that guy and you've been playing with that lineup throughout your entire season and then you go into the playoffs and play against, or in the World Series, I should say, and play against a National League team that hasn't been doing that, I think that's a huge advantage. I think it is. So I'm happy to be able to see... The universal DH thing happen. I am upset. The only thing that I'm upset about with this whole thing is it kind of takes away from the magic of a player like Shohei Otani. Now, I know that he's playing in the American League, but if he was playing in the National League, per se, or whenever he plays in National League-type games... It would be awesome to see him going out and pitching and having a ridiculous pitching performance while also batting in the lineup as like the cleanup hitter, hitting a home run or doing something ridiculous from that standpoint. I, I, everybody loves watching Shohei Otani at this point just because he's a, a, a magical player that you haven't seen in decades in the MLB, a player who can do both and do both very well. So, I mean, arguably, I, I don't even know which he's better at. I know that he's a dominant pitcher. I know that he's a dominant hitter. I guess you would say that he's a better hitter than pitcher, but, man, he's really good at both. So, the only thing that I am upset about when it comes to the Universal DH, I think, is the opportunities we would get from seeing Shohei Otani play and be both a pitcher and a hitter in the same game and be able to just kind of dominate both. Right now, I don't know if this is going to be I'm sticking on the Shohei stuff because that's the thing that most interests me right now. But I don't know if this is going to be a situation where if he's pitching in the game, he can also be the designated hitter or what it's going to be. But I think that they should allow that if that is the case, because just forcing Shohei Otani to either be a pitcher or a hitter, that's upsetting. And you're m missing out on one of the most electrifying players in the game right now. One of the people that puts the casual fans butts in seats. That's Shohei Otani. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, but I don't think that it's going to be good for the MLB coming up. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have a late start and a shortened season. But there is one more thing that I do want to talk about, and it's revolving around baseball as well. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, two baseball segments to end off the show. I'm sure people are loving that, but there is some interesting information that I found out that I thought was worth talking about. Uh, obviously, we talked about in the last segment how I don't think that the, t the league is going to start on time. Rob Manfred's coming out saying that they're extremely close to a deal, but it doesn't really actually seem that. It seems like he's just posturing in the media. He's just lying to everybody. But we'll see how that goes. Now, we did also talk about the Universal DH, which I think is a cool thing to have. I don't know how other baseball fans feel about it. I think it's personally a cool thing. But the thing that is crazy to me that is happening right now and I know that it's specifically because the agreements have have run out of time or or whatever they they've expired their drug deals or their their uh, everything going on with the contracts or all these types of things. But I, and I just kind of gave it away. But the MLB currently 
has stopped drug testing during the lockout. They are not drug testing any of their players currently while this whole thing is happening. So anybody in the MLB right now could be doing a cycle of steroids and getting themselves much more prepared for this season while sitting there saying uh, also, yeah, no, keep this uh, collective bargaining agreement thing going. We, I can keep training as hard as I want to over here and it's not going to matter because the MLB is interesting for it. That is such a wild thing to have happen right now, especially after you just went through the whole debacle with the uh, the Hall of Fame and how you didn't let in Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds for the whole drug testing thing. And now we come out with reports that they're just not drug testing once again. They have to come up with a new drug testing policy. I kind of find it crazy that those policies don't go through these types of periods of time. I, you're just allowing a player to do whatever they want now. It, hey, it's great from a standpoint of if you're like me and you remember the days when it was all about steroids and baseball, that was the best baseball I've ever seen. That was the most exciting baseball. The home runs all over the place. The guys that were able to pitch longer, play harder, run faster because they can train harder with these steroids. That was when the, the game was at its best, in my opinion. You had these crazy races when it was coming to home runs. You had these pitchers doing these unbelievable things. Let it happen again. I'm fine with it. If you're willing to put your body through what it's going to go through to get to that point, then you should be able to have it, in my opinion. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. Or let's create a whole other league where there's just no drug testing, and let's see which league works out better, the MLB or the, the, uh, the steroid league. Because I personally would only watch the steroid league. I don't know. If that makes me a bad person, it does. Whatever. But I just think that... Obviously, during that time period, it was the most watchable baseball. It was the most fun. It was the most entertaining. It had everyone on the edge of their seats. And now all you have is strictly fundamental baseball, I believe, that takes forever. And the nerds have taken over the game. You've heard me rant about this a million times and how it's you take an extra second on the mound before you pitch so that you can get an extra mile per hour on your next fastball or whatever it is. That stuff's ruining the game. Steroids? Steroids was great. Steroids was was one of the better things for the game, in my opinion. So, I don't know. It's crazy to think that they're not drug testing right now. It's crazy to think that players could be doing it, and you know for a fact. You have to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that there are players taking advantage of that, knowing that they could go on a cycle as for a, a long period of time before these new drug testing rules come out. And I think it's great. If you want to go do it, go do it and get as as good as you can. So I'm hoping that this season coming up, whenever they do start it with whatever amount of time that they actually do play in it, I hope that this is going to be a year where there's just tons of home runs, <laughs> where the pitchers are pitching forever, where everybody has unlimited stamina and everyone is hitting monster home runs. I think that that would be amazing. I would love it. It would be hilarious. And I, I, I don't know. I think it would be a better overall product. So I don't think that the MLB misses out too much. The only... People that are going to be hurt by that are the people actually taking the steroids, and that's not until a little bit down the line. <laughs> so, I don't know. If you're willing to do it, do it. If you're not, then don't. And just complain about the fact that some people get a competitive advantage over you when you don't do it and they do.
I don't know. That's just how it is. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in to the show on WKKL. I really appreciate it. This is going to be up as a podcast, wherever podcasts are found, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find them. Just search The Claptrap. You'll see my goofy face right on that front cover, and you'll be able to hear everything that we talked about. We talked things about the Celtics, the trade deadline. We talked about the Super Bowl, talked about Deflategate. I, I know that nobody's really interested in that, but it is interesting to hear what did come out. And then I talked some baseball stuff. So a good episode, did a little bit of everything. We, we talked hockey too. You know, a little bit of everything in there. So that's what I usually like, a, a nice smorgasbord of sports. But we are going to be back again next week. I'll be able to talk about the Super Bowl. I'm going to try and bring some more people on to talk about what's going on with not only the Super Bowl, the NFL, hockey, the Celtics, everything like that. We'll see what keeps going on. We'll see how the Celtics team does this weekend. And after these new trade ex uh, additions get in with the team, we'll see how they do. I'm not sure how it'll go, but we'll see. All right. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you guys next week. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.